We're continuing our sermon series through a letter by a man named uh, James. He was Jesus' half-brother, and now we're looking at what's called the third chapter of his letter. And he's talking especially to leaders, uh, leaders who would be teaching in the church, leaders in, in Christian circles, and he's talking about how they can lead wisely. So this will be the focus for our sermon. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, which means reasonable, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for gathering us here to, to worship you in the ministry center or online. We pray that that you would use this message to communicate your truth and your word and that, that your word would lead us to have the kind of life that would bring glory to your name in accordance with your will. And don't let anything that I'm doing get in the way of the work of your Holy Spirit. In your name we pray, amen. You are all leaders. That might surprise you because maybe you thought that, that a leader is somebody who has a certain kind of charisma, like, like a Vince Lombardi or a Dale Carnegie, or you thought had a, had a certain position like, like CEO or, or professor or coach, but that's not what makes a leader. Maybe you thought a leader has to leave like, like a great movement like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. or Rosa Parks. But that's not essentially what makes a leader. All those people and characteristics make up leadership and they're a description of leadership. But that's not what makes a leader. A leader is just somebody who has followers. That's all a leader is. A leader has followers. That's it. And so according to that definition, my youngest daughter, Annie, is a leader because when she has friends over and they're playing Barbies and she leads them in the game, she's leading them. And then according to that definition, my, my son, Joan, is a leader because whether he wants to admit it or not, or they want to admit it or not, Annie is following his lead. And according to that definition, my oldest, Shelby, is a leader because whether she knows it or not or wants to admit it or not, the, the younger two are following her lead. You are a leader if you're answering phones in a, in a cubicle, uh, working for some um, technology company, you're working in, in tech and IT, and, 
And people on the other side of the cubicle are listening to how you respond to that angry customer. You're a leader. You're a leader if you're, you're, you're a, a nurse or a doctor. People are watching how you treat your patients. You're a leader. Of course, if you're a teacher and you're, you're looking at those, those students and people are watching how you lead. You're a leader if you're a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad. And, and those kiddos are watching everything that you do. A leader just has followers. That's what makes a leader. And so you are all leaders at some capacity. The only question is, what kind of leader are you going to be? Now, the reason I want to talk about leadership today is because I think one of the biggest problems we have in our country is toxic leadership. Leaders who who use their, their position and their authority to control people or to get glory for themselves. And it would be easy to, to look at maybe some corrupt CEO who's, who's using his position to, to get more money for himself. It'd be easy to, to look at Hollywood and see how they're, they're using sex to try to get you to follow them and follow their lead. But my concern is the toxic leadership that's happening inside of the Christian church. It's become more visible and more notable, especially this last year. I don't know how much you know about this or how familiar you are of this story, but, but Ravi Zacharias, he was one of the, the most well-known apologists in the world. It's somebody who goes around and, and tries to prove the truth of the scriptures. He was leading a, a multi-million dollar ministry, had about 60 plus speakers underneath him, and he led this ministry that... that reached people all over the world. He would go speak all over the world. And while he was leading this ministry, there were some accusations of sexual abuse that, that he's so elegant and he was, he was able, eloquent. He was able to explain those accusations away. Well, now that he's passed, it's been revealed that all of those accusations and many more were true, that he was using his power and authority and influence to abuse women. Something similar happened with another well-known leader. I don't know if you know this story, but Bill Hybels, he's one of the, the most recognized leaders to lead the church growth movement. He, he led uh, the movement, that one of the fastest growing churches in the country, in, in Chicago and Willow Creek. I would say majority, many, many Christian churches in the United States have been influenced in some way by his leadership. But right before his retirement, it came out that he was using his position and his authority for abuse. I could go on and talk about other leaders and writers and speakers that I've followed, like Talian Chavichin, who's doing something similar. Some of the leaders were using their power and influence to control people, like James McDonald or, or Mark Driscoll, all people that if you'd walk into Barnes & Noble a few years ago, you would see their, their books on the, on the top of the shelf in the Christian book section. These were large leaders and, and influencers in our country, but they were toxic leaders. Now, maybe you don't know these, these people. You're not, maybe you're not familiar with them, but, but you probably all have your own story of some Christian that you are following, some pastor or leader or writer or speaker or somebody, some author, and you found out that they were a toxic leader, that they were using their position, their influence, and their, and their power to control people for themselves. 
We're continuing this sermon series called Detox. And what I'm hoping we can detox from is detox from toxic leadership, especially inside of the Christian church. And that really starts with us. It starts with every one of us taking up our responsibility as a leader to be a healthy leader. And so the question I want to answer today is, how can we become wise, healthy leaders? That's the question for today. How can we become wise, healthy leaders? And to answer that question, how can we become wise, healthy leaders? To answer that question, we're going to go back to a letter written by a man named James. That's what we've been looking at this whole sermon series. We've been looking at um, James. James was Jesus' half-brother, and he wrote this very kind of direct letter to God's people. And in this section, which we call James chapter 3, the third section of his letter, he's really speaking especially to leaders. It opens up talking to teachers in the church, and as he's talking to teachers in the church, he, he leads us to, to kind of, how can we spot a healthy leader? How can we spot a healthy leader? And he asks this question, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? How can we find a wise leader? Where, where do we go? What can we look at? Well, what he doesn't do is he doesn't say, uh, look at the things that lots of times I look for and we look for. You know, is this person charismatic? Are they talented? Can they get, get a large group? Are they, do they have this ability to gather a large following? Is that what you look for in a wise leader? Somebody who's got these, these great skills and great accomplishments? No, this is what he says. Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done and the humility that comes from wisdom. You see, we can't tell if somebody is a wise leader by looking at at just what they're saying. We have to look at what they do because that's all we can see. We can't really see what's going on in their heart. So we want to look at what they do. And that probably is teaching me something that that if we're going to follow somebody, we're going to ask somebody to be our mentor or leader, we should probably know them. We should probably be careful not to put too much of our trust in just a YouTuber that we're watching because we don't know exactly what they're doing when they're off screen. We should probably not put all of our, 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 our eggs in one basket and follow some writer or leader or influencer, somebody that we don't know personally. Let's follow a leader. Let's find a wise leader that we can see the good deeds of their life. Let's see how they treat their spouse. See how this person treats their children. See how this person treats the waiter or waitress at the restaurant. Let's see how this leader uh, treats the person who cuts their hair. Let's look at the deeds of their life, the things that they do when no one else is watching. And why? Because he says, by those deeds, those deeds are done in humility that come from wisdom. Those deeds that people do They come from a humble heart. They come from a humble heart, and that's really what God cares about more than anything. God's not so impressed with outward appearance, with outward accomplishment, with how much charisma you have or how much talent you have. What God cares more, what God cares most about, he cares about what's in the heart, what's motivating you. What's your key primary motivations? So now James, as he often does in this letter, he, he gets under our skin and he starts pointing the finger at you and me and he says, so what's motivating you? 
what's in your heart. What's your internal motivations? And so he says, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. So he wants us to take a journey inside of our own hearts. Now, that's something that only we can do to ourselves. I don't know what's in your heart and you don't know what's in my heart. But each of us individually, we can take a journey and take a look and see what's honestly inside of our heart. What is in there and see what we find. And James says, when you go inside of your heart, do you see bitter envy? When you're leading your, your family or your business or people in your community, when you're leading, are you leading motivated by envy to try to outdo somebody else? He says, when, when you're leading, are you leading by selfish ambition that you're just trying to make a name for yourself? Is that why you're leading? And again, you're all leaders. What is your primary motivation? And when we take that trip down into our hearts and we see the, the motivations of our heart, man, that is hard to look at. And, and what James anticipates is that we're going to boast about it or deny the truth, that we're, we're going to try to find some way to weasel out of it. And this is how, kind of how we do it and how I do it in our culture, in our country. If we look inside of our heart and we see bitter envy, we say, oh, that's not bitter envy. I'm just competitive, Right? I'm just a competitive person. And you're right, there's nothing wrong with competition. Competition can be a good thing, some healthy competition. But sometimes we're not honest that it's not competition, it's actually bitter envy. We want to destroy the competition. We look inside of our hearts and, and what we see is this selfish ambition and we want to boast about it or deny it. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not motivated by selfish ambition. I'm just hardworking. Well, hardworking can be good, but, but don't deny the, the selfish ambition part of it that, that what can motivate us as leaders is just to make a name for ourselves. Work so hard so that people see us. And we need to know where that actually comes from. If we're motivated by these things, we, we want to maybe justify them or Christianize them, but, but there's no way to Christianize bitter envy. There's no way to, to, to Christianize selfish ambition. There's no way to twist that to make it fit. James tells us where they actually come from. He says this in verse 15, such wisdom does not come down from heaven. God didn't motivate us this way, but it's earthly unspiritual and demonic. That to be primarily motivated by envy, I want to I be better than everyone, I want to destroy the other person, I want to be better than another person, I want to make a name just for myself, that doesn't come from God. That's not a healthy motivation. James is saying you're getting your scorecard from the world. We need scorecards. Scorecards are a healthy thing. I was listening to a pastor talk about this, that, that it's actually a healthy thing to have a scorecard. Like if you're playing basketball, you need a scorecard. You need to know how you put points on the board. You need to know that just hitting the backboard doesn't count. You got to get the ball into the hoop. You need to know that a three-pointer is worth more than a two-pointer. You need to know that, that if you're playing golf and you hit it in the woods, it's going to put more strokes on your scorecard, something that you don't want. You need to know as a teacher what it looks like to, to get your students to the next grade, what a scorecard looks like, a grade 
a report card for your students. So we all have scorecards at work, at life, and those can be a good thing. But in our leadership, we have to ask the question, are we letting the world give us our scorecard? Are we letting the world tell us what to motivate our leadership? And what is the world's scorecard for leadership? It looks something like this, motivated by power, people, possessions, and pleasure. The world says, you know, as long as I get more power, that's good leadership. I want to have more power, more influence. As long as I can get more followers, more people to follow me, then I'm a good leader. The world says, you know, if I get more possessions, whoever has the most toys at the end wins. I get more, I'm a, I'm a good leader. I'm a good leader if I have more pleasure in my life. And, and I don't know about you, but I've followed leaders like that. I look at them and, oh, that, that person's got a lot of power. That person's got a lot of influence. A lot of people are following them. They must be a good leader. That's something I want to be like. I want to have more power and, and more people to follow me. I want more possessions. And, and we look at those leaders and then we try to emulate those leaders because that's the world's scorecard. That's what it looks like to win according to the world. And James says, if you let the world give you that scorecard, you're going to have a toxic life. If it's just about controlling people, controlling your spouse, controlling the people at work, controlling other people, having more power, you're going to have a toxic life. If it's just about you getting more people to follow, you don't really care about them. You just want that many likes behind your name, that many followers. If you just want more possessions, if you just want to feel good all the time and have all the the fun experiences, that's a toxic leader. You will destroy people. And I feel like that was probably some primary motivations for some of those leaders I spoke about before earlier. And so this is the result that James tells us, verse 16. If you live according to the world scorecard, he says, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, if that's your primary motivation, there you'll find disorder in every evil practice. There you'll find disorder. God is a God of order. He wants things to be put back in harmony. That's what shalom, peace means. That Hebrew word for peace means, it's shalom means to put things back into order. But if you live for yourself, things are going to be disordered. He says, it's going to lead to every evil practice. Really, literally, those words mean uh, unworthy practice, Practices that have no value, it's going to be worthless. What The results of your leadership are going to be worthless if you live for just power and people and pleasure and possessions. So we need a whole new scorecard. And, and we see a whole new scorecard in the Bible. When God was picking the second leader, the second king in Israel, when he was picking David... He explained what God cares about. God said, you know what? Humans look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And that's what we need to learn from this. That is the the main take home. That's the, the, the thing that I want you to learn from today. Humans look at the outward appearance. God cares about the heart. And so we need a whole new scorecard that speaks to the heart. It's about the heart, not just about the outward influence or the outward success charisma, the accomplishments, the power, the the people, the pleasure, all that stuff. We need something, a new kind of scorecard, and James gives us that one. James gives us a whole new kind of idea of what it looks like to win as a leader according to God. He says this, but wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, 
considerate, submissive, also could be translated reasonable, full of mercy and full of good fruit. Impartial also could be translated unwavering and sincere, not hypocritical. And so this wisdom that comes from God is, first of all, what God cares about is purity. I think especially sexual purity. How are you treating your spouse and what are your relationships like with other people? Do you look at somebody as an object to satisfy your own desires or do you look at somebody as a human being that was made in God's image that deserves to be protected and loved and accepted? So do you have purity in your life, especially sexual purity? Then in your heart, being peace-loving, to love love peace, bringing things back to the way they're supposed to be, to be kind and considerate, to be submissive or reasonable, to be somebody full of mercy. You're quick to forgive, but also full of good works, good fruit. Somebody that's impartial or unwavering, somebody who's got convictions and, and holds to your convictions. You know what's true and you hold to that truth. And then somebody who's sincere. Same person in private as the same person in public. That's a great list. This whole, it's not an outward list. It's not about who you are on the outside. It's what's going on in the inside as a leader. So where did James get this great list? He says it doesn't come from the earth. It doesn't come uh, from, from down here. It's wisdom from above. Well, what is wisdom from above? Where did James get this list from? He got it from his half-brother, Jesus. As I mentioned before, James was Jesus' half-brother. And when Jesus was doing his ministry, uh, James didn't necessarily think that his half-brother was the Messiah, the Son of God, uh, who, you know, all of us would be challenged if, again, I've said this before, if our brother went around saying, I'm the Son of God, the Messiah, right? But he proved it not just with his leadership, but then he proved he was the Messiah with the resurrection. And after Jesus rose from the dead, James trusted in his brother, and then James himself became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And so when James was thinking about coming up with this list of of internal wisdom, a a list of of leadership qualities, he was not just thinking about a list. He was thinking about a person. He was thinking about his brother. You know, there's a story even in the book of John where where the brothers, Jesus' brothers, were kind of of poking him and saying, hey, if you're going to start a movement, you're going to be a leader, you want to be well-known, you got to get down there and, and do something in Jerusalem, something visual, something impactful, something grand and, and glorious. Bring a lot of people to, to, to know your name. But he didn't listen to them because Jesus wasn't just about power or getting lots of people or possessions. He didn't have any possessions. And it wasn't about his own pleasure. His leadership led him to a cross. And so if we want to grow in our leadership, we want to answer that original question, how can we become wise, healthy leaders? How can we become wise, healthy leaders? How do we become wise, healthy leaders? Do what James did. Be with Jesus so we can lead like Jesus. So James did be with Jesus. He was with Jesus in a very real way. Be with Jesus so you can lead, with Je- lead like Jesus. And that's what God's calling us to do, to be with Jesus. To be with Jesus as we meditate on the gospels, his life, his, his word, to be with Jesus as we come here to worship, to receive the Lord's Supper. What happens first of all, when you be with Jesus, you recognize how much we're not like Jesus. 
we realize how far short we fall of Jesus' leadership and we see that Jesus is full of mercy. That you get close to Jesus and he pours out his mercy on us as we repent of all the ways that we led from an earthly point of view. He embraces us by stretching out his arms on a cross to die for all of our sins and all those times we've led from an earthly point of view. And then we be with Jesus and we see what motivated Jesus. Jesus was not motivated by the crowds. Lots of times when he preached, the people left him. He was, he was an, according to the ways of the world, Jesus was an unsuccessful leader. He didn't get the things that the, the leaders of this world give, but, but he loved from the inside out. He lived according to his internal motivations. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. You all have a scorecard. We all have scorecards that we get from society. Maybe you have a scorecard that you get uh, from the world that tells you the kind of parent you're supposed to be with these outward accomplishments, right? You have an outward, maybe there's a, there's a scorecard uh, that you get from the world on how many possessions you're supposed to have or how many vacations you're supposed to take. Maybe there's this outward scorecard or, or a legitimate scorecard that you have at work. These are the numbers that you got to hit. These are how many sales you need to make this month. This is how much money you need to bring in. This is how much power influence. You have all these, these, the scorecard that you get from maybe a boss or a coworker or somebody that's sitting on your desk. Well, I would encourage you to put another scorecard on your desk. And go right to James chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, and look at this other scorecard. And it looks like this. Purity, peace-loving, considerate, reasonable, full of mercy and full of good fruit, unwavering and sincere. That you can put that next to all the things you're supposed to accomplish on the out, outward accomplishments that you make at work or life or as a parent. But then look at the, the inward life that God wants you to have. You know what? Today as a leader, I'm going to focus not so much on my power or possessions or how many people follow me, but I'm going to focus on being pure and be sexually pure. I'll be faithful to my spouse if I'm married, and then I'm going to be pure in my relationships with my coworkers. I'm going to be peace love. I'm going to love peace. I'm going to try to bring people back together. I'm going to be somebody who's kind and considerate. I'm going to be reasonable. I'll be the kind of person that you can come to me and talk to me because I'm going to listen to you. I'm not going to bark at you. I'm going to listen to what you have to say. I'm going to be the kind of person who's full of mercy and be quick to forgive. And when you repent and you say, I'm sorry, I'm going to be the kind of person that's full of good fruit, doing the right thing when nobody else is looking. But I'm going to be unwavering. I know what the truth is. I'm going to hold to the truth no matter what that means for me. And I'll be sincere. Hopefully if you bump into me at home, I'll be the same kind of person at home as you see in public. And so we put this scorecard next and says, that's the one that really matters. And if you live according to this scorecard with God's help, motivated by his spirit, freed from, from, from all guilt and shame, you live according to this scorecard, you know what? You might not get a promotion. You live according to this scorecard, you know what? Things might not go well for you, outwardly speaking. You might not get more possessions. You might not have more people that follow you. In fact, you might get persecution. But then James tells you what you will reap. He says this, verse 18. Peacemakers, that's who these kind of people are. These people live according to the Jesus scorecard. Who sow in peace, you're looking to sow in peace. What you'll reap is a harvest of righteousness. Another word is justice, a harvest of justice. 
You help put this world back the way it's supposed to be in the little way that you can until Jesus returns on the last day and finishes the job. You are all leaders. Even you little ones here, you are all leaders. Every single one of you. You're all leaders because you don't recognize it. You don't realize how many people are watching you. They are Co-workers, friends, neighbors, all these people are watching you. And the only question is, is what is your standard for success? What is your scorecard? Are you going to be a person who's motivated by the scorecard of the world? Just get more power, more people follow me, get more possessions, get more pleasure. Is that going to be your scorecard? If it is, it's going to lead to toxic leadership. Let's detox from that scorecard. Let's be led by what God says is most important, our internal life. And how do we change our internal life? How can we become better, healthy, wise leaders? Be with Jesus. Be with Jesus and receive his forgiveness and his love and his acceptance. Be with Jesus as you read his word. Be with Jesus as you come to church. Be with Jesus and you'll lead like Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we might be able to hide from others, but we can't hide from you. You know some of our twisted motivations, some of our toxic motivations. And so we ask right now that you would cleanse us with your forgiveness. Cleanse us today through your word of forgiveness. Cleanse us today as we receive the Lord's Supper later on in the service. Cleanse us today and then create in us a new heart, Lord God and a right spirit that follows you and leads from the inside out. In your name we pray, amen.